0: Nimble, well, this is the first commercial provider of proactive network maintenance software applications, and this is one of the topics that we're going to be covering today. Uh, thanks for joining us for part two of the live hangout on DOCS's pre equalization. If you've missed part one, be sure to catch the reruns on our YouTube channel, which you can find on. Our Volp firm Google+ plus page, or you can also go to our VoltFirm.com blog. Today we're going to be talking more about DOCSIS preequalization and to make it how to make it work for you and locating plant impairments. As last time, my guest is John Downey, consulting network engineer at Cisco Systems. Yesterday was his birthday, so uh, you can be sure to wish him a happy birthday. So welcome back, John. Uh, thanks very much, Brady. <laughs> so. Uh, John, last time, uh, uh, first of all, if you're on Twitter, you can use the hashtag VulpFirm to submit questions to us. We'll we'll see those, and we can answer those. And then also, uh, on the live uh, Google Hangout, there's a Q&A button. You can click on that and submit questions to us, and we'll answer that during the Hangout as we're going on. I do want to mention, I should have mentioned this last time, but there's about... Anywhere from a 30 second to a one minute delay that Google has in the buffering of the feed. So when John and I are talking, to when you actually see uh, what's coming on a feed, there's that delay. So be sure to ask your questions uh, when you have them. They'll come up. We'll see them. We'll answer them. Don't wait to the very end of the Hangout because you might miss getting that question in. Uh, we we won't actually see it when you get it in for for us to be able to answer it in time. So. Get those questions in, and we'll answer it. We will keep this hangout brief. This is not going to be an hour long session. It's going to be about fifteen minutes or so, uh, in consideration of everyone's time. So, uh, getting right into it, uh, John has recap from our last hangout. We, you know, we talked kind of about what the basics of pre equalization is. It's something you can enable in the CMTS, and that talks to the cable modems and it helps adapt. For Upstream impairments, and it's it's something that you and I really think highly of and we recommend to uh, Most cable operators to turn on it uh, it keeps the modems happy It keeps the subscribers happy when there's impairments in the upstream of even some of the most Really bad impairments that we would have so I, I mean you agree with me on this right?
1: Oh, 100% I mean I'm I'm in the camp that says Let's use all the features we can in the CMTS for self healing, uh, robustness, optimization, speed. Uh, anything we can was invented because it was needed. You know, the mother invention is <laughs> when you need something. Uh, <laughs> um, there are features on the CMTS and in the upstream chipsets and in the modems that help the modem be more resilient. And for us to turn them off, would be the, the saying is cutting off your nose to spite your face Why would you do something to affect your customer? just because your internal processes aren't up-to-date like um, I Had customers that said I don't want ingress cancellation on I'm like, why wouldn't you want ingress cancellation? Well, I want my RF text to f- fix the plant <laughs> I'm like, but you're making your end customer suffer just to teach your RF text a lesson because you don't have proactive monitoring or uh, Alarms or flags that tell you when a problem occurs I I like to use all the features I can to keep the end customer happy But I need to be a little bit more proactive in monitoring when modulation changes how hard the equalizer is working how hard ingress cancellation is working. I'm not going to look at the SNR MER of a CNTS alone I'm going to look at the CNR of a spectrum analyzer. I'm going to have return path monitoring. I'm going to use the flap list I'm going to use correctable uncorrectable fact, so there are many parameters I'm going to look at to try to equate to RF problems Sure sorry I going
0: on no 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 (laughs) that's that's awesome because it leads right into what I want to talk about next You mentioned the word proactive a number of times, and I know that you're familiar With the uh, one of the working groups at cable labs uh, that's called ingenious It, It was previously called pnm for proactive network maintenance And then they they rebranded it to ingenious Uh, and I love the name ingenious because I always think of Wally Coyote Super genius. (laughs) Oh, that's that how that name goes in Um, But the the ingenious working group focuses on Docsis proactive network maintenance and and Really what what we do in the working group is? Start looking now deeper at taking the coefficients in the cable modems after pre-equalization has been turned on and and say okay, you know now we're we're taking advantage of this well, What more can we do with these coefficients in the cable modem so we 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 extract the coefficients out of the cable modems the pre-equalization coefficients and say now how can we make more meaningful use out of this information? We analyze those coefficients. We turn them into uh, Into equalizer taps that we can see we analyze that we take an FFT of those taps we can see in channel frequency response We can then go further and say okay now. We have all this information We can start identifying what those upstream impairments are we can look at a bunch of cable modems that are having the common Upstream impairment and do what's called a correlation so now we can start saying you know Here's a group of impairments that have impacting the same cable modems on the same upstream and, and then locate them on the map so, you know, I, I it's really cool technology that this group is working on and it's not the only thing they do They they're looking at other things that are happening in the upstream, but guess what, what I'm, you know What I'm interested from you is from the CMTS vendor side how how do you see this type of technology? Impacting the industry, and you know what maybe what else can it do?
1: I, I'm a, a, a big advocate of PNM in genius if you will because when I troubleshoot RF problems, I know that uh, all the modems coming back in an upstream segment say the same upstream port If you will they'll have the same Technically the same CNR carry noise ratio because all the noise funnels back You know the noise funneling effect and all the levels should be hitting the CMTS close to zero dBm There might be a plus or minus a DB here and there, but for all intent and purposes It should be same CNR, but the mer which also we call signal noise ratio SNR can be totally different Every house will see different micro reflections. Every house will see different internal tilt potentially. Um, so you'll see different MER readings. So the chipset is, you know, a little bit different than just CNR. CNR is just amplitude to amplitude. You know, um, MER is a little bit different. So knowing that, I recommend I turn on pre-equalization. In the CMTS, it's called equalizer coefficient. At least for Cisco CMTS, I activate it. I know the modem is going to pre distort itself to make up for in channel impairments uh, group delay Which is timing issues and the cmts will see a nice flat and better mer But now I lose the capability of troubleshooting on my cmts So now I need a tool like Pnm and genius to talk to the modems see how hard they're working and you talk about you know putting them in groups I call it clustering so if I see uh, five modems off of a tap that have the same exact signature, the same pre-equalization signature, I can cluster them and maybe color code them as red. Now I know that if they have the same signature, they must, must be seeing the same problem or impairment in their common path. You know, back when I worked at Wavetech, I used to recommend upstream sweeping with sweep points really, really close. But uh, avoiding CB at 27 because I wasn't sweeping to see ingress. I was sweeping to see frequency response and and the and quantify the coax plant and the RF amplifiers and roll off and things like that. So, but any place I didn't have a doxus channel or signal that I knew of, I'd make the sweep points every 200 kilohertz. Sounds like a lot, but I would put a lot of sweep points so I could see better granularity of the upstream sweep. And the more granularity you had I could use that for frequency domain reflectometry I don't know if you remember that terminology FDR. FDR.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And basically that's what we're doing with the pre Q taps now, right if we have an in-channel standing wave We can look at the peaks of the standing wave do some mathematics and tell you how far the distance is What I thought was interesting is my feeling was when I did upstream sweep when I saw that and did the formula found the distance I felt oh the problem must be 200 feet away from where I'm standing But what we're finding with the pre-q taps and stuff. It's not The signature is not indicative of a problem from the modem back It's usually a cavity and you have I have talked about this where the cavity might be uh, a bad splice on a on a connector to an amplifier and a bad inline splice That's the cavity. It's an impedance mismatch in the line not impedance mismatch from my house to the line Does that make sense? yeah so that, that's so exactly gravity correct. so so what you have is all these modems that see that same cavity if you will they're going to have the same signature because the distance between the two impedance mismatches is the same it's the same cavity so you could have ten modems f- downstream all reporting red because of the same if you will signature uh, and then it, the mathematics tells me three hundred feet I look at my cable plan I'm like what devices are in the common path of these ten modems, working my way backwards towards the head end, that is three hundred feet. And I might say, oh, there's a tap there and there's an amplifier about three hundred feet away. Maybe the tap has water in it. Maybe the seizure screw's not tight. Maybe the connector that someone tried to splice together or put together on the amplifier, they drilled out the, the dielectric too far. <laughs> Maybe they used the torch to, to burn off the dielectric. You know, I've seen lots of things. And <laughs> it creates a mismatch. So I think it's cool to be able to use P and and to take a step further, I think with is 3.0, if we can start looking at the in-channel response, all the channels, and compare, say, four upstream channels, you're almost eating up the whole upstream spectrum anyway. We could utilize that as an upstream sweep point. So yes. instead of me having to go back out and do upstream sweeping, I could just utilize all these modems in the field and see an upstream sweep from every single house that has this capability.
0: Right. right. So I mean you've covered really a, a couple of Really important points with PNM one when you talk about clustering and, and being able to find that cavity And and that's a it's a pretty complex topic that you go into and when, when looking at a cavity Maybe between an RF amplifier and a passive and saying you know th- So we, we have this common point that's impacting maybe 10 20 30 subscribers out there so we've identified we've isolated this pro problem. We can plot it on a map and and tell a technician Go out here and and, and start troubleshooting this area And you know, we, we've done something really important We've we found a problem and now we're able to say don't bother and and go out to this subscribers house Or don't don't bother and go out to these subscribers houses And try troubleshooting a problem because you're never going to find a problem at the subscribers houses that are calling up and complaining about their service about modem outages or or bad voice over ip support are problems you, you there's the problem is not there it could be located a mile from their house or 2 miles from from where their homes are so now we know you know, we're kind of dissecting where where major problems are and really intelligently telling the technicians go to this place that's really far away from subscribers homes and when we when we go there and we fix the problem we're gonna fix a major issue in our outside plant that's gonna It's going to make quality of service quality of experience better for a bunch of subscriber homes and then You know or we may look at the the PNM tool and we, we may say you know There's there's not an outside plant problem. This is really isolated to an individual subscribers home So you can look at it from two ways there the other thing you talked about is with Docsis 3.0 modems we are using up a lot more upstream bandwidth when we're doing channel bonding, so we do get complete coverage. So there's a double-edged sword there. We can't do sweep when we're doing upstream channel bonding, so we have to look at what other technologies, what different tools in our toolbox do we have? P and M is that new tool in our toolbox, and it's an extremely powerful tool. So I mean, that, that's those are great points that you brought up.
1: Yeah, I, uh, i, I... I don't want to belittle upstream sweeping because that's what I did I used to work for wavetech and uh, I was still a lot of times people ask me John. Where should I put my upstream channels? And I'm like well, you know a 6.4 megahertz wide channel is wider It'll have more group delay because it's a wider channel So if you locate it near the band edge, then if it goes through five amplifiers, it's probably gonna see more group delay with that in mind I know Pre-eq will make up for some of that the question is how much pre-equalization are you willing to? Give up for a known roll-off issue Because if you give up all your pre equalization to make up for the roll-off Then you have nothing left over for just regular micro reflections and little impedance mismatches here and there and things of that nature So a lot of times I know the 5 to 42 megahertz upstream spectrum in North America is normally 5 to 40 You know we both you and I worked at SeaCor electronics and remember the diplex filters A lot of them dropped the 40 because of the group delay and chrominance aluminum delay on channel 2 so the filters we're normally starting to be spec a little bit more shallow not as tight not a brick wall filter 42 to 54 they opened it up a little bit so channel 2 wouldn't get affected as much with chrominance aluminum light I'm sure you remember that yep you were, you were working on some of that stuff back then right? Yeah, so, absolutely. so I know a lot of you know the doc specs is 5 to 42 But a lot of filters out there are 5 to 40 with that in mind I might still place a 6.4 megahertz wide channel near that band edge um, I've had to carry at 38 megahertz, but I definitely had to turn on pre- equalization for it to work. Then, when I start placing my other channels, I would normally leave 200 kilohertz of separation between the channels, just for sweet points. So the print this all back around again, even though I'm doing upstream bonding and filling it up with. And I know I'm trying to maybe avoid ham radio and CB and and uh, telephony and other set-top boxes and things of that. I can still find some places to put sweet points. And then any places that are empty, I put sweep points really tight to still get a a more granular sweep in the area where there are no upstream channels. So I don't want to just belittle upstream sweep, but there is a case where maybe we don't have spectrum for upstream sweep. Uh, But if we do separate the channels a little bit, knowing that the sweep points are intermittent as they travel through the spectrum, and the Doxus channels are intermittent, and the Doxus channels even butted against each other, they still have built in guard time. You know, a 6.4 megahertz wide channel, how wide really is it? It's 5.4 megahertz, right? The symbol rate is 5.4. So out of, or is it, no, 5.12? Well, the
0: symbol rate is 5.12. Uh,
1: yeah, so out of a 6.4 megahertz channel, we have over half a mega on both sides of really built in guard time. So we could still probably insert a sweet point right between two channels, even if they're butted against each other. So we could probably still get a decent sweep without them interfering with each other. Um, so with that in mind, I think with Doctors three O, if I ever get the five to eighty five megahertz and do eight channel upstream bonding, that's a lot of upstream channels that I could utilize to to look at the channel response between channels, levels between channels, frequency response within the channel, potentially an upstream sweep, because I'm looking at all the channels and seeing the whole spectrum. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so another uh, and another challenge that that I see when when people are using proactive network maintenance tools is they will see a modem that we have identified as being red. Red meaning that it, you know, the basically the equalizer in the cable modem is indicating there's problems in the upstream, whether it's micro reflections, group delay, or some type of impairment, and the equalizers being really, really heavily used. So we'll report the problem. The cable modem is being problematic, but on the SNMP dashboard or whatever type of uh, Monitoring system the customer the cable operator is using everything will look really good And this goes back to your point the pre-equalization works really hard and covers up a lot of problems So SNR will look good correctable uh, Yeah, correctable uncorrectable code words everything's looking good PNM saying this modems having a lot of problems. It's working really hard And so you know one of the things we say is this is all part of being proactive We we wanna we want to go out and fix this modem before its ability to correct for upstream problems runs out in the equalizer itself Yeah, It's like When is the where's the straw that broke the camel's back this kind of scares me
1: because If I turn on pre-equalization and it's masking or it's making up for problems, and I'm only monitoring the CNTS M.E.R And everything looks good hunky-dory. How do you know the wind doesn't blow and the pre-eq has to work even harder? And it puts it over the edge So unless you track how hard that modem is working how stressed the pre-eq is working You're not going to know how close it is to the edge So we need to know how close that thing is and how many modems are close to the edge for me I would almost like to see M.E.R. from the CNTS perspective before and after pre-eq like if I don't turn on pre-equalization. What is the mer and I turn it on and it makes up for 10 DB I know it's working pretty darn hard. Yeah, that would that So would be it's not something. I'm just going to say thing, yeah. walk away from So last time nah, I, I know I think I, I Think you can do like some of the uh, I think Node Slayer from charter and Scott flux from Comcast That's their terminology for their pre Q stuff their application I know some of them are looking at upstream modulation uh, constellations and I think extracting from that with and without pre-eq kind of like here's how hard pre-eq is working Let's do the mathematics backwards What would the constellation really look like without pre-eq and from that we can tell what would be the mer? Without pre-eq
0: right and I I also have had um, uh, some people talking about taking modems Cable modems, and uh, as you had recommended last time it, taking your test equipment and putting that on on sort of a, an OUI uh, uh, Exclusion list so that the those those the test equipment itself is not uh, Put in into a pre equalization mode I have other uh, cable operators that say they do the same thing with like what they call canary modems so they can use a cable modem to see what it would look like uh, out in the plant if they did not have pre equalization turned on. So they, they kind <laughs> of so the a, a canary in a coal mine? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's a, it's the same concept. So so we we have a couple so of questions. I thought, uh, Go
1: ahead. Okay. Did did so did you do you know some test vendors doing two modems in their test equipment? Uh
0: like not two
1: separate modems in the test equipment?
0: Not two modems. I know that uh, you know most most uh, test equipment vendors give you the ability to put multiple to spoof multiple MAC addresses. So you have a yes. primary yeah, yeah, MAC address, and then you can create a secondary MAC address. So theoretically, you could you could put one MAC address as your pre equalization MAC address, and one MAC address as your non pre equalization MAC address.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's what I was thinking too. Is if you had two modems, or you had the ability to flip flop, you could you could um, Exclude a MAC address from preq use that MAC address to see the plant But what if it doesn't even register right maybe it's working so hard that without preq wouldn't even come online
0: Yeah, that's a and great you point can flip
1: to the other MAC address
0: Yeah flip to, to the MAC address with preq see if it comes online you say wow Yes, it's, it's some pretty bad stuff going on out here And uh, that's that's why I won't come online because it's uh, not preq So we, we have a, a couple of questions uh, on the on the Q&A here uh, the the first one here is uh you select it up. It uh, Says uh, currently using my PNMT tool. Um, I'm not sure what that tool is I don't know if you know it John, but one upstream spectrum at 24.2 megahertz 3.2 megahertz wide Is showing me a warning sign where the upstream at 19.4 megahertz so slightly low in frequency also 3.2 megahertz wide is Showing good health why the difference from the same modem? so I I think there's a a, definitely a lot of Possibilities here, but what we're seeing you know typically you would expect lower frequency uh, You'd have more problems here, so there's definitely a frequency dependency going on Um, Definitely could be ingress uh, some sort of coherent carrier or something at 24.2 or below uh, The 27 megahertz citizens band radio that we would always recommend people avoiding on that one correct
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean we know CB is at 27, so the so where are the two frequencies? 19.4 and 24.
0: Yeah, it's, so the, I mean, the I one
1: back to 19 megahertz rate of impulse noise.
0: Well, 19.4 is is good. The the problematic one is 24.2, uh, according to their their tool that they're using. That's that's the one. Yeah, and it, you would think out.
1: it's it, you would think it's so far below the diplex filter unless it's a 30 megahertz filter. Right, really old filter. I mean, I've I've run into old planets 25 megahertz back when you and I were at core. I think one of those first upstream spectrums was 25, then 30, then 33, then yeah. 42, back to 40.
0: So I mean, I've still seen some so 30 I, yeah. megahertz plant out there. That would you know that would be the only possibility is if this is really some older plant. Uh, so maybe the, the 24.2 is closer to diplex filter. The other thing, and and I've run into this before, is and and I've I I like to mention this to people is is there are times where uh, If if you go out and you cut a piece of coax So you know and and, and sometimes this is the quick way to Disconnect someone from service you you cut the coax off the drop rather than disconnecting the coax (laughs) that piece of coax makes uh, especially if it's on a a low-value tap a piece of coax makes a great notch filter uh it depending yeah. on the frequency. So you can end up with a notch at different frequencies in your upstream and it turns into group de- group delay in your upstream.
1: Or or just a suck out and yeah, basically it, you're notching out the channel altogether.
0: Yeah, so it does become a suck out. So I mean in this case you could have a suck out around your twenty four point two megahertz either just above it or just below it. Which could be impacting that frequency, so I mean the thing that you'd want to do is Is look at this with either a PNM tool or some type of spectrum analyzer and upstream? Signal generation tool that can look for things like group delay or something um, But it's you know there's definitely a lot of possibilities with this one yeah,
1: I've, I've even seen a case one time where we know the group delay is going to be worse near the diplex filter roll-off But I've had a case where group delay was worse at 30 megahertz than it was at 36 It was totally against the grain. It didn't make any sense It was counterintuitive because we we're further away from the diplex filter at 30 megahertz. It should work better It turned out some of the filter manufacturers and the amplifier manufacturers Instead of making a 5 to 42 filter They took a 5 to 30 megahertz filter and created another filter on top of it to, to extend to 42 so, you basically had two filters that were kind of crisscrossed right at 30. So, on a spectrum analyzer, it would look nice and flat because you would tweak inductors and capacitors to make it look flat, but that didn't mean you had good group delay at that frequency.
0: Right. And it turned yeah. out
1: right at that crossover point because of the components they used and things, it actually had worse group delay right there. What and the eq made up for it.
0: <laughs> Some people think if one filter is better, two, or what one filter is good, two filters <laughs> must be better. So. <laughs>
1: Take <laughs> hey, two filters and call me in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought there was, I thought there was another questionnaire. It, it, yeah. Did you see the other questionnaire?
0: Okay. Yes. Yeah, so I, I
1: think we kind of covered that, right?
0: Yeah, So it, it is, asked,
1: did you say? Go the, ahead.
0: the it, Talking about the footage indicated is from the back of the modem to the network. Uh, we've been seeing that the footage indicated seems to be from the common point of the network rather than from the back of the modem, and and that's that's exactly exactly yeah correct. Almost all the time there are some impairments uh, Especially if if you're looking if you're using a proactive network maintenance tool Uh, if you if you have impairments that are in the home and and you're familiar with looking at the equalizer taps on On a cable modem in a PNM tool the taps that are right adjacent to the main tap We and we normally call these if it's a 24 port tap uh, or not a port tap if it if, it, if it's a <laughs> 24, a, a 24 tap, tap equalizer, which is typically what you have on a on a uh, Docsis 20 or Docsis 30 cable modem uh, the main tap is tap 8 and Then the tap right after is tap 9 and, and tap 10 uh, those two taps will typically show you indications of in-house or impairments very close to the house like maybe the dra the drop or the the tap that's uh, you know the, the mainline tap that's going down in so those are the only times that maybe We could say that we have an impairment that's related to uh, The the house and then we can estimate distance from the cable modem, but the majority of the time we're going to be looking at Outside uh, as John was talking about earlier micro reflections are going back and forth or uh, you know cavities basically they're going back and forth. That's that's the bulk of what we're looking for
1: yeah, exactly what he said here. You know, uh, most of our problems are finding is are in the network at a common point. That's exactly what we were saying. It's not from the modem. What I was saying is I always thought it was, and it turns out that most of the problems are common to a clustering of modems, meaning it's common in the plant. So it's a cavity. So that cavity gets affected uh, or affects a clustering of modems. So now if I have um, uh, 200 feet is a is the mathematics that decided this distance then I look for something or two devices that are two hundred feet apart um if um where was I going with this <laughs> um I just lost my train of thought sorry <laughs> go ahead that's
0: that's okay this
1: proves it proves that, that this is live
0: <laughs> yeah. it's not screwed. we don't think for anything it. here <laughs> yeah so okay so um, I I think uh, you know the last thing I I want to ask you oh, about hey, John
1: hey, wait wait, wait. we well, hey, can't hey, I, I remember <laughs> I remembered I remembered
0: <laughs> which
1: kind of like I always thought I always looked at those tap uh, displays you know the the main tap and all the taps and correct me if I'm wrong Brady I think this is right all the taps to the left of the main tap really are indicative of group delay that's correct and all the taps to the right of micro reflections correct so I know that um, I could utilize that to kind of focus on anything to the left as group delay problems anything to the right is as, as uh, uh, Micro reflections and those taps can be equated or calculated into distance to the problem or distance Between two problems if you will a cavity and we like you said the very first tap. It's such a close distance Typically, it's related to the house. Yes, and I know Comcast they would kind of negate that first tap for their PNM and uh, plant evaluation they knew that that first tap really was in-house problems. Maybe right. it's just the f connector was not tightened down Yeah, things of that nature.
0: Yeah, that's exactly exactly what we do we, we negate uh, Sometimes we negate both the first and the second tap after the main tap when we're doing correlation uh, to you know looking for groups of modems that have a common upstream impairment and uh, and and like you're saying, the the taps to the the left of the main tap show us group delay. So a lot of times, when you have cable modems that are close to the diplex filter, you'll see all those taps to the left of the main tap really elevated in value, and then you'll have a high group delay group delay level. And so it's I mean, it's really really quick to see that that. When you have group delay problems, and using a and M tool, and then you go and, and and you can move those modems a little bit away from the the uh, uh, diplex filter, and all of a sudden your your group delay problems go away, and and your upstream performance improves. So, uh, all right, very good. So yeah, one of the last things I wanted to ask you, John, was about uh you know d DSG based set top boxes and uh c- cable modems embedded in set top boxes because we also look at those uh when our, with our P and M applications. And I wanted to get your your thoughts on on how you know maybe that can help um from your side, because that's uh you know that's something that you guys are involved in. If you had any so, thoughts on you that.
1: Know, yeah, I mean when we see I, I like the idea of DSG, Doxa set-top Gateway, where we have a meta cable modem. It's uh, the technology is ubiquitous now; it's everywhere. Um, putting a cable modem in the set-top box makes there's no out of band signaling for the settop box. But if the set-top box doesn't need any throughput, what am I really doing with that cable modem? Usually, the settop box is deeper in the house, so it's incurring more loss. So we've had cases where we Purposely steered, if you want, that, that's a good word, steered the modem to specific upstreams that were using, say, QPSK, knowing that QPSK could put out more transmit power than, say, 64 QAM. So, one, it's more robust. Two, it's more higher power from the set-top box with QPSK, but you're not going to get the throughput. But we also knew we didn't need the throughput. So, by pushing certain devices to what I call a quarantine channel, QPSK, maybe. Maybe even low is 1.6 megahertz wide because maybe you don't need a 3.2 megahertz wide channel because you don't need the capacity So you steer those devices to that channel It's more robust because it's so narrow No group delay or hardly any group delay because it's so robust it can survive way down maybe below 15 megahertz So this is a case where I might utilize the cable modem in a set-top box at lower frequencies now in regards to pnm um If It's on a really small channel. I might not get as much from it because it is a 1.6 megahertz channel, right? I really never went down that path of will PNM be advantageous for set-top boxes I mean having more devices that you can pull and get levels from is always great but for PNM purposes I don't know that that device with a smaller channel width is going to give me as much useful information I don't know. What, I mean, are there are the thoughts that you had about the set top box?
0: No, I I I don't. Uh, I have a client uh, that that I've been working with that has a, a ton of set top boxes, and they were interested in what type of information and whether or not it would be valuable for them to get from it. So, and I was interested and curious as to what your thoughts are. But you're all right. That because the set top boxes are so deep in the home, they use typically like like a one point six megahertz QPSK channel. So it is questionable as to, to what value that's going to be now there's a lot of set-top boxes So you do get a lot of points of data you also get points of data that are very low You know sort of on a lower frequency spectrum because they're typically down below 20 megahertz or you know in that, in that range But um it's it's questionable as to how valuable that data is going to be
1: Yeah, and by the way Brady. I mean since we're you know ad libbing here going back and forth Are you on the three one working group? Or any of the working groups for three one. So
0: 3-1. so the ingenious working group uh, puts together sort of the recommendations for P requirements on on that go back into the three one working groups and and mm-hmm. it's, it's it's actually a good segue. There's a there are a ton of really really cool features that are going to be uh P&M features that are going to be in in part of that are part of three one standard. So we look at what we have right now as far as 3.1 capabilities in our current docsis 2.0 1.1 3.0 modems and And they're I mean they're really amazing what we can do, but when we look at 3.1 It's it's an order of magnitude more um, the the features that we're adding into that because we you know We kind of know what limitations we have now and we say well We don't want those limitations in the future. We want to add a whole bunch more features into uh, the the new equipment that's going to be coming out the cable modems the CMTS's. Um yeah. So uh, it's it's yeah, if, if awesome. my upstream,
1: if my upstream is now a 48 megahertz wide OFDMA signal with sing with uh, Many carriers in between It's the question is like how do the taps really going to work on this huge? Channel that's made up of many sub channels, but then again the many sub channels can all change level for in-channel problem, in-channel tilt problems, or um, I was just curious if you know you had any insight on where we were going with some of that stuff as well. I'm glad they're looking at that now, you know, instead of waiting till later.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, it is we're going to have every subcarrier. So I mean, and we're, we'll be having literally thousands of subcarriers on the upstream and downstream. So every one of those subcarriers will. Basically, give us the ability to do PNM analysis, but also uh, in addition to that, we're going to have the ability to do. If you're familiar with noise power ratio test, NPR test, we're going to have the ability to do that in channel while while the system is active. We'll be able to see ingress under the carrier for you know be able to turn that on and turn it off very quickly uh, with the OFDM channels because you can knock a channel out and turn it back on. Because there'll be other subcarrier channels that are still running, so there's there's just a lot of cool things, cool features that we'll be able to to do uh, as part of the whole proactive network maintenance initiative in in three one. All right, so, very good. So uh, so there there's question. One, yeah, one more question came in. It talks about uh, the the spectrum analyzer, which is something I didn't cover. Um, we we do you know part of the. Uh, Ingenious working group is is we look at other features that we can do um, Not just looking at equalizer coefficients, but taking advantage of things like spectrum analysis in the CMTS upstream spectrum analysis in the CMTS downstream spectrum analysis in the cable modems, so um, That's that's uh, you know other other things that really add a lot more value and so one of the things that that uh, we do in in the Nimble This product is that the upstream spectrum analyzer it takes advantage of capacity in in this in the CMTS. So it's it's a really cool feature. And you can see your upstream um on on the CMTS upstream spectrum, and it doesn't require you know head end cabling and stuff like that. So it's just uses the spare FFT that's in the Broadcom chipset. So that's a, a so nice your,
1: so Your application is pulling the cmts with a read-only string and just bring and pulling that information
0: Well you, you need both the read-only string and the read-write string so um, okay. So getting the read-write string has some interesting uh, Discussions with the this the, the uh, system admins sometimes Because uh, they don't necessarily want to want to give that out unless they know that yeah. you know where it's going who has access to it and, and what you're doing with it. and basically You need the the read write string because you have to set the start and stop frequency and resolution bandwidth of the spectrum analy of the of the uh, FFT that's in the Broadcom chipset in order to to create a spectrum analysis view. I've uh, had
1: yeah I've 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 had that same apprehensiveness I guess about having the need for a read write string and I usually recommend just an access list. Yes, yeah, so an access list you know for the device that's going to be accessing that information. No one else can get to it
0: Yeah, we, we recommend that they create a separate spectrum uh, uh, a Separate read-write string just for the application and then create the ACL you know that Limits it yeah. just to the IP of the uh, PNM server and that way it's it's restricted at that point so we you know only only let it uh, only give it certain pri- pri- privileges yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, it sounds very, uh, very much the same like uh, Cisco CBT, Cisco Broadband Troubleshooter, which yeah. I think it really kind of is. And what I like the advantage of is, if you're pulling the CMTS and the CMTS does all the scheduling of upstream traffic, even if you have 90% upstream traffic, you can still use the tool to query the CMTS upstream chip and say, "Show me the upstream with no traffic." So basically you can see noise under the carrier. You know, yeah, like ingress under the carrier, if you will. Yeah. I've, yeah. Even, I've even utilized it. I've even utilized it during that quiet time saying, Show me the upstream with no traffic, and I saw traffic and I knew it could have been an isolation issue in the head end where signal destined for upstream one was showing up on upstream zero. So right. it's being scheduled for up one, but it's finding a path in the head end because of isolation issues, showing up on upstream zero. And I knew that there was a way for me to see that uh, with the, this application.
0: Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. I have a client that I, I I thought for some time there was maybe an issue with their CMTS because it doesn't quite work right. Um, I'm always seeing traffic that I should not be seeing on, on their spectrum an, on the upstream spectrum analyzer, but now now I'm wondering if it's not just a head end isolation issue that's been. Uh, uh, we always see this upstream traffic that we never should see, and uh, it, it is probably <laughs> just an isolation issue.
1: It could be. A lot of people will come up to me and say, "Is there enough isolation between your ports on the same desk? I'm like, "Yeah." I said, "It's probably isolation in your head end." <laughs> you know, because a lot of times your your service groups. For different applications are different. Like the upstream sweep could be eight nodes combined, but your CMTS is one to one. So if you follow all the paths that signals can take, you usually can find a pathway can bleed over.
0: Right. Okay. Well, sir, I think that uh, that pretty much covers everything we can cover. Uh, In in this time period we've uh, we've gone 41 minutes well past what we had intended on going But that's what happens on a friday when we add lib So thanks very much for your time today Um, Perhaps we'll get together and and do this again on another topic if you're interested in it Uh, Thanks everyone who uh, showed up and and uh, hung with us on a Friday happy Friday everyone have a great weekend And uh, we'll talk to everyone again soon. So John you take care. Have a great weekend
1: All right, take care. Happy uh, Dos de Mayo. All right, we'll see you. All right, bye.